Uh, let's go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2. This is a uh, passage that has God has spoken to in my life in my own personal Bible study. So I was excited to be able to open it with you. So are you ready? Ready to go into God's word? All right, 2 Timothy 2, verses 19 through 22. Uh, Listen as I read this. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pause for a moment, thank him for it, and ask his blessing on it this morning. God, what a privilege it is to be able to have your word, to know that we can look at creation and and know that there's something inside of us that says something out there is bigger than me. There's a God and you've told us exactly in your word who he is, how we can be made right with him and how we can uh, know what he desires for our lives. So God, I pray that your spirit today would instruct, uh, rebuke and encourage our hearts through the hearing of your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is to be in this church and to be a part of what you're doing. So bless us now, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I was on the basketball team. And uh, I went to a smaller school. But what I tell you now, I don't say to brag, but just to give you a little more context. When I was a sophomore... I was actually a starter on the team. I was pretty good. But did I tell you that it was uh, the freshman team that I was actually a starter on as a sophomore? You see, I, I probably had the ability or the skill to maybe play JV. But there was something that hindered me that kept me from being useful to the team. is why I played as a sophomore on the freshman team. And that was... I carried around a spare tire with me on the court. See, I was about 70 pounds heavier than I am right now. And that extra weight made it hard to get up and down the court. Where I could have been a little more effective, it kept me from really being useful. Despite how good my jump shot was, if I couldn't make it up the court to take it, it didn't really matter. Do you want to be useful I mean, do you, I, that's kind of an obvious question, right? I mean, nobody sets out in life and thinks, at my job, I don't want to be useful. Or at my, in my home or wherever, you know, there, there's, there's a desire to want to be used. That other people look and say, this is a useful person. Believer in Christ, do you desire to be useful to the master? If you are a true believer, there should be a desire in your heart to want to be usable, to be ready for every good work. And that's what we're talking about this morning is 
How can you and I make sure that we're ready to be used? Give you a little context of where this letter that we have is coming from. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and he is uh, in prison in Rome. He's been in prison before in Rome, but the circumstances are much different this time. In his first time, it was more of a house arrest where he had the opportunity to have visitors come in. He wrote a bunch of different letters and sent them out to churches, uh, the prison epistles, that type of thing. But this one is, is very, very different. It is not in a house, but he's living inside a hole that he was lowered into, kind of a manhole, was lowered down. It was very dark. There was no sanitation. It was crowded. And he even tells Timothy, who he's writing to, when you come to visit, please bring my cloak. I'm cold. And so he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And we look at chapter 4 and he says, "Uh, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. My departure is near. Meaning that Paul is waiting. He says, this is it. I'm going to be beheaded soon for my faith in the proclaiming of the gospel of Christ. And so he writes to Timothy and he's not saying, oh, Timothy, woe is me. This, what a terrible, this has been such a horrible time for me. He doesn't do that. He actually writes to Timothy and encourages him to carry on in what he's doing. Lift up the gospel, have a narrow focus and have that as your main goal. Keep going in the faith. Now Timothy, who's a relatively young pastor at this time, just so you can kind of get where he's at a little bit of... uh, where he's coming from, he's a pastor in Ephesus, which is of a fairly good church, but at this time, false teachers are starting to rise up from within. Uh, The leaders are even being led astray by some of this bad doctrine, and possibly even Timothy himself. And he's also being tempted to pursue things that a young pastor would want to pursue. Things that aren't of God for his own self and for his own glory. So he's kind of in this place of, uh, my, my mentor is dying. I'm kind of, I, people are teaching bad things and I have this desire to do my own thing. And that's kind of where he's at when he writes to Timothy. And we see this is a little evident too, that Timothy is timid. In verse 7 of chapter 1, the apostle says, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. Verse 8, he says, don't be ashamed to speak of Jesus. And don't be ashamed to speak of me either. He even had a tendency to, to be ashamed of being associated with the apostle, apostle Paul because of what that might bring to him. And so Paul, among a bunch of different things, to preach the word, to have good doctrine, sandwiched in this section that we're looking at today is his plea to remain useful to Timothy. If you want to be a person that is used, you need to remain useful despite the temptation of everything else that's going on in your life right now. And as we get to peer in on this letter a little bit, between these two great men, we kind of get to see how can we remain useful to the master despite temptation and other things that are going on in our lives. So let's look at verse 19 and 20 again here. It says, but God's firm foundation stands, that's the church, Jesus being the cornerstone, bearing this seal, 
The Lord knows that are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels for gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So Paul gives this illustration of, of the church, and he gives the uh, bigger illustration of a great house. That is, of someone that is well off, someone that uh, has a large house with servants, and many different uh, pieces of furniture and other valuable things that are in that house. And Paul uses this illustration to talk about the church. So it's, a, it's a big house. There are a lot of different people in it. And he says there are different vessels for different kinds of uses inside the church. Vessels referring to the people, the members of the church. And Paul says there are vessels that are used for dishonor, which are vessels that are made of wood and clay. Okay, those that store the trash. So the trash can. And then there are others also made of clay that, that took out the human waste. Okay, so it was the toilet. He says, these are contained in the house. They have some usage, but uh, they aren't the kind that you put out on the table when you have guests over. But he says, there are also those that are used that are honorable vessels, those that you put on display, right? This is like when mom goes out to the, the china cabinet and brings out the nice dishes. My mom had one of those. We didn't eat Hot Pockets on those dishes, okay? That was reserved for special occasions, and Paul says, these are those that are used, that are ready to be used by the master. Vessels of honor. Here's what, it, what Paul is not saying, okay? Paul is not saying that vessels of dishonor and vessels of honor are different classes of Christians based on their giftedness. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that the guy up front that's teaching is a vessel of honor because he uh, has some gifts that are more prominent, that type of thing. Although pastors do have the more prominent gifts, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that the person working in the nursery is a vessel of dishonor. In fact, if you ask me, changing that diaper right now, that's a vessel of honor right there. We need some more people to work in the nursery. Just a little plug there, okay? You want to be a vessel of honor, work in the nursery, okay? But that's not what he's saying, is that it is this different levels of Christianity. And sometimes I think you can get into this thing of, if you've grown up in the church, you've been to camp, and you bring up the people on stage that are called a ministry, and everyone else kind of sits there and goes, oh man, well I guess I'll do my best, right? That's not what he's saying here. We all have different gifts, but that's not uh, what he means. Actually, 2 Peter 1, 1 tells us that we have equal standing in Christ. That's Peter, the apostle, talking there, telling them that you guys have equal standing with me as an apostle before Jesus. So we all are on the same level. So then what is he talking about? What does he mean, vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor? He's talking about those who have pure doctrine, that are making themselves pure by growing in Christ. They're not perfect, but these that are ready to be used by the master for every good work. So in verse 21, we're kind of going to see here of if that's what you desire to be is a vessel of honor used by the master, he gives us some characteristics of what that looks like. And the first one is a vessel that is pure and set apart. 
He says, those who cleanse yourselves of these things, that means to purge or to remove bad theology, to purge from sin from your life, to be kept usable. And he says, a usable vessel is set apart as holy. That word there, okay, we're going to give you just a little bit of a lesson, and I'm not a scholar by any means, and some of you are like, oh, don't start talking about that, you're going to lose me, okay? But this is really important for us to understand the original wording that Paul was using, okay? He actually is using the word here that is uh, set apart as holy is a perfect passive participle, okay? And this is really important for us to get the meaning of this, because Timothy would have heard it and go, okay, I know what that word means. But for us who separate a little ways in English, we need some help understanding that, okay? It's a perfect passive participle because it means that uh, an event that occurred in the past and now affects the current actions. An event that occurred in the past and now affects your current actions. So what Paul is saying is this, he says, Timothy, and for you who are believers, when you came to know Jesus, you were already made clean. You were set apart as holy. That has already happened completely by the grace of God. But does everybody feel perfect and holy all the time? Even though that's how God sees it, is that the way you feel? No, because nobody is. So this is already not yet scenario of, with God, I am perfect and set apart, but in life right now, I'm not. And because something has already occurred in the past, that gives me a great desire to want to be holy now in the present. A great pastor that I admire, admire, he says this, For a believer, we are not working for our acceptance, but from our acceptance. We're not working for our acceptance, but from our acceptance. Now that changes things, doesn't it? So that we aren't trying and striving to be holy and be pure, not even to be used, but because we're already accepted completely by God through grace alone. You know, my wife and I have been meeting and doing a Bible study uh, with a lady in the community. And uh, we, we were talking about this as we were studying the scriptures together. And uh, we're just talking, and just, we're kind of tracking along, and all of a sudden you could tell the light came on. Right? Have you ever had one of those aha moments? You're we like, oh. And she stops and she looks right at us and gets a smile on her face and says, that's the exact opposite of everything I've ever heard growing up in church. But that's what God's word says. It's working from your acceptance, not for it. So it's a perfect passive participle, this being set apart as holy. And passive meaning that Timothy didn't make himself holy, that someone else acted upon him. It's called the divine passive, where God himself is the one that made him holy. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I get that, but... I, There's been some things in my life currently and in my past. Maybe, I don't know if I am usable right now. That may be the case. Who knows? But let me give you a little hope here. This is from uh, Acts 15, 36 through 39. And uh, the Apostle Paul is with his his best friend at the time, Barnabas. And uh, they're talking together and they say, let us return 
Visit the brothers in every city who proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark. But Paul thought not to take him with, because he would draw him from them. Whenever you don't know a word, just read it confidently and fast. Pamphylia and had gone, not gone for them in the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and with him sailed away to Cyprus. So we see this part where they separate where Mark is not useful to Paul at the time. And he says, no, I'm not even going to take him on this trip. I do not want him to come with me. So that was maybe 20 years before Paul writes this. And this is what he says of John Mark now. Chapter, two, uh, chapter 4, at the end of his life, he's looking and he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's that same word, ready to be used for every good work, is what he is now saying about Mark. At one point, was not ready to be used because of things that happened in his life, and now he's saying, he is very useful to me. That's some hope right there, right? So a perfect, or not a perfect, but a vessel that is used by God is cleansed, that is pure, and is also ready for every good work. Do you believe that God is doing a work in Des Moines, Sailorville, and Ankeny? Do you believe that? Do you want to be a part of it? That's what uh, the question here is, is God is going to do his work. He doesn't need us to make it happen. He's going to do it. The question is, is do you want to be a part of what God is already going to do? He's going to use somebody. The question is, are you going to be ready for it to be you? And that word ready is also, just like the last, is a perfect passive participle, which means this, okay, that on your salvation, you were made ready. Check out what this says here in 2 Peter 1, 3. We have everything that we need for life and for godliness. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. It's a matter of submitting and being sensitive to his promptings. So you are ready. But it's a matter of if you can be used in your life right now. And so there's some examples of the wrong way to get ready, right? Remember how I uh, taught you that I played some basketball? I didn't really play, but I was on the team. Uh, but I really desired to be a great basketball player. So outside, um, we had like this sloped sidewalk uh, type of uh, driveway so that when you shot the ball, it banked off the rim and then like rolled all the way down the street if you didn't catch it in time, okay? Uh, but so that gave me an advantage. I just knew how to play on a slope floor in case we ever had one of those. Uh, but uh, I, try, I really worked hard on developing my skills in basketball. You know, as every young uh, guy and even young man dreams of being the hero on the basketball court. I worked on this signature move where I would take it between the legs, do a spin like this, seal the guy off and, and lay it in, right? If you've been there before, you have like that magic move that you want to perfect. I had it perfected, but I never got to use it in a game. Why? Because instead of really practicing and getting better at skills, I should have been running and eating less Long John Silver's. 
I'm serious, like, uh, the, I didn't even eat the fish or the chicken. I just ate all the appetizer stuff. They had, like, 12 hush puppies, free crumbs, uh, french fries, mozzarella sticks, like, the whole thing, every day. I was putting junk into my body. That's what I needed to get rid of rather than trying to better my gifting and, and, and get my skills going. That's where I was there also in my 20s. It wasn't basketball, but it was life. My early 20s, as I, I sought to be in ministry and wanted to be used by God, so I was like, well, I'll get really smart and read every book. I had plans to go to seminary, which is a good thing. I still hope to do that. But I would say, I'll get really smart. I'll become a great speaker. I'll become a great small group leader and really develop uh, my gifts for ministry. When that was started in the wrong place, because there was sin in my life that needed to be dealt with first. I was young, I was prideful. I was looking at inappropriate things. I was doing things that weren't making me a pure vessel to be used by the master. That is why Paul says in Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every weight and sin. To get rid of that spiritual fat. Keep yourself spiritually lean so that you can be ready. You have all the resources right now if you're a believer. But are you ready to be used? So let's look at just some application here in verse 22 of how to know or how you can become ready. Here we go, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. First thing we can do to be a pure vessel is to flee. And he means here to flee like a fugitive, to always be on the run. I immediately, my mind goes to that Harrison Ford movie of the fugitive, that he's just always on the run and it never, ever seems to let up. That's what he's saying here, is you're continually fleeing, always. Even though it might get better at times, you are still always on your guard and never, ever getting comfortable. And he says, flee, that means to run away, right? He doesn't say subject yourself to things, get as close as you can to them that you struggle with, and eventually maybe you'll get stronger. That's the wrong mindset. That never works. That's why Paul tells young Timothy, he says, flee those youthful desires. Youthful desires, or youthful lust, your Bible might say. That is talking about sexual desire, but it's also talking about the many desires that will plague a young person. Uh, things for, for self-glory and uh, impatience, a love for dispute, laziness. And I want to talk to, uh, to the young guys in the room this morning. Because this is written to a young guy. He's 35 at the time. Some of you who are older think, yeah, he was pretty young. And the 16-year-old in the room was thinking, man, he was wicked old, right? That's like my dad's age. But I want to talk to us under 40, where I'm right there with you. And that is that uh, we want, do you want to be used? Do you want to be a pure vessel like Timothy? We're here. And if we want to be used by God, guys, we need to spend less time trying to make a name for ourselves and our company, whatever we're doing, and more time trying to make a name for Christ. He has a name already. It's Jesus. We need to make his name even more famous. 
And guys, if we want to be pure vessels, we've got to spend less time in front of a screen holding a remote and more time in front of God's word. We need to spend less time on our phones and more time talking about Christ. My own daughter, she's four years old the other day, looked at me and said, Daddy, you're always on your phone. Four years old. Oh, break your heart, right? These type of things that, that are small things, and there's some big things that I don't even need to mention that you're aware of that are keeping you from being usable by God. And Paul tells young Timothy, flee these things. Run away from them like a fugitive. But it's not just a, a running away that is to nowhere. It's a fleeing, but it's also a pursuing, if you look at that at the same time. He names all these things that we are to be pursuing, to be going after. Uh, so the second one of how we can be used, make sure that we're a clean vessel, is to pursue Jesus. He names all these things which can kind of be wrapped up to into pursuing Christ. Because if you're fleeing and there's no destination involved, that's a terrible thing. Imagine if you went on a vacation and you got in the car, got everybody strapped in, loaded up, you drove 12 hours, you went and stayed in a hotel. Then you got up the next morning at 7 a.m., got in the car, drove another 12 hours, you went and stayed in a hotel, did the same thing for days and days and days. Then you arrived at home, you're like, wasn't that great, kids? And it's like, that was the worst vacation ever, right? With some of us, that's how we live life. We live it with thinking, man, it's, it's only about fleeing. And you've seen this. Maybe this is you. You know, the person that's involved in five different accountability groups sits around all the time and says, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin. And then they get really down on themselves when they do because all they're doing is fleeing. They're not running to the only one that can help them in their fleeing, and that is Jesus. So it's pursuing him with all your heart at the same time. And he doesn't say, Timothy... You're out here doing this on your own. It's, it's, this is a group project. He says, do this along with those who desire to follow Christ with a pure heart. That's the church right there. Being with those that desire to follow Christ with a pure heart and fleeing and pursuing together. So Paul, as he writes young Timothy at the end of his life, He says a lot of different things about preaching the word, being a good soldier of Christ. And among all those things, he says, I want you to be effective. I want you to be useful. I want you to further the kingdom of God. That's our desire for you as well as a church. We desire for you to be used. We desire for you to be further in the kingdom. And many and several of you are doing that. But if you really want to be used, here it is, really simple. This is how you, you, you're used by God. Are you ready? Be Christ-like. That's ultimately how you're used by God, is being ready to be used by him, is to be Christ-like. That's simple. Instead of trying to focus in on the gifts and making your skills better, you need to focus in, first of all, of loving Christ and knowing him, and experiencing the life that he has called us to live, not just fleeing, but pursuing and walking with God. But all this, most of the stuff that I've mentioned, 
doesn't really matter unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Just as Timothy, he was formally cleansed from his sins, that has to happen to you as well. You know, I, I spill a lot on my shirt, things like that, when I go out to eat and things, and I, I, I think that I can get it off by, you know, sticking some saliva on it. But that doesn't work. The shirt has to be put in the washer. It's the same way. We think with our good doing, the little things we do here and there, that we can make ourselves clean, but someone else has to do it for us. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he was sent by the Father. He came and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose again and he desires to have you be a part of his family, to have your sins wiped away and to have be clothed in his perfect righteousness. And that's why we, we observe communion, that this is for believers. Those that have already been cleansed of their sins, as we think about the death and the Resurrect the uh, life and the death of Christ. This is for those. So if you're not a believer, just let these pass by. We won't make a spectacle or make a big deal about it or even notice, okay? Or better yet, I'm going to pray in a moment. And if you want to know Christ, you can know him right now. You can cross from death into life simply by calling on the name of Jesus, pleading for him to have mercy on you, a sinner. And so... These elements that are for believers, they are uh, symbols, but they're very powerful symbols. If you know that the first Lord's Supper took place um, at Passover, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and they're, they're used to going, and going through the ritual of Passover, and all of a sudden Jesus begins to show them that everything that they've ever known before was all, always pointing to him. He says, this whole thing has been about me. I am the lamb, I am that substitute. And so the bread depicts the perfect life of Christ, just like that perfect lamb. That life that he lived that we never could in our place. He not only died for us, but he lived for us as well. And the the juice that we take represents the perfect uh, sacrificial death of Christ in our place. The death that we deserve to die, he says, I'm going to take that for you and I'm going to be that one-time sacrifice for you. So that's what we observe. This is a, a serious time to reflect and contemplate and to rejoice in the life and the death of Christ. We'll pray and we'll have the deacons go forward and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what we just mentioned. Your perfect life. A life that I have never lived, that I've never even come close even when you were reviled and taunted, you didn't give in. And then you went and you died in the place of those that taunted you and reviled you, God. And that's what communion is. We contemplate our life up against yours, that it doesn't measure up, that we need you, and that you died as our substitute, God. We thank you for the opportunity as a body to reflect on your perfect work. In Jesus' name, amen.